0: Peter said, Lord, if another member of the church sins against me, how many times should I forgive? As many as seven times? And Jesus said to Peter, no, not seven times, but I tell you, 77 times. Would you please pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our Redeemer. Amen. Amen. I don't know what it is about weddings, but people really let themselves go when they gather to join with two people who are joining together. Maybe it's the beauty of a ceremony that is totally focused on love. Or perhaps it's the atmosphere of friends and family joining together. Or maybe it's the abundance of free alcohol. I don't know what it is, but weddings are a rare moment. When people seem to be their truest and their deepest selves. If you were here last week, you'll know that I wasn't. Uh, while Michael Oben was bringing the word, I was on a plane flying back from Maine, where I had presided over a wedding ceremony the night before for one of my oldest and dearest friends. And I want you all to know that I miss you terribly. I miss being here. I miss sitting and being in this place for worship on Sunday morning. I miss hearing our wonderful choir singing. I miss the fellowship, the passing of peace that we have. I really miss you. And that's not to say that I had a bad time at the wedding. No, I had a great time at the wedding. I love going to weddings as a pastor because people have such low expectations. It is so much fun to finish a wedding ceremony and have all these people boost my ego so much. They come up and say, that's the most incredible service we've ever heard. And I say, well, I know. i worked really hard you know, at it. You, thank you. And they just keep heaping praise upon praise upon praise. I said, oh, it was nothing. Don't worry about it. A couple of people said, hey, are you, are you local? We'd love to come to your church on Sunday. I said, yeah, it's just in Woodbridge, Virginia. Just got drive from Maine. No problem. <laughs> I love it, but it seems kind of strange. It seems like so many people who go to weddings, particularly for young people, They've never been to church before. And so when they hear a wedding ceremony, when they hear someone like me talk about God and the virtues of love and commitment, it's the first time they've ever heard of it. So really, I don't have to do anything but tell the truth and it amazes people. But I did make a couple mistakes. The first mistake happened after the wedding ceremony. While I was uh, getting ready to eat, someone nudged me in my rib cage, and they said, We need you to pray for the food. I said, sure. I'm in the business. It's what I do. I pray for things. So I stood up and they gave me a microphone. And I noticed shortly before the meal that a lot of strange things were happening. When people came up to shake my hand, they'd have a wine glass or a beer can in one hand. And as they put their hand to shake mine, they'd put their other hand behind their back. <laughs> as if I didn't see it the whole time. And so I made the mistake when I was praying. I said something like, Lord... Help us to remember that Jesus' first miracle was turning water into wine at the wedding of Cana of Galilee. Help us, Lord, to remember and to know what it means to party like Jesus. <laughs> now, if I only hadn't said those last three words, because throughout the rest of the evening, while people were dancing on the dance floor, Lindsay and I were dancing, people would come up and say, Preacher! Party like Jesus! <laughs> and they'd give a high five, they'd spill their wine all over themselves, all <laughs> was party like Jesus. And I say, Lord, deliver them from their sin. <laughs> uh, the second mistake happened during the, the ceremony. But at the end of the ceremony, there's all these really important bits to the liturgy. There's the giving and the exchanging of rings. There's the vows that people make to one another. The scriptures that are read. At the end, the very last thing I get to say is, you may now kiss the bride. And I love getting to do that. Because I get to be front stage for this incredible... Moment. But I've done enough weddings to see the pictures that the photographers take afterward, and I could not be any more creepy when that happens. Because <laughs> they zoom in all the way on this young couple embracing and kissing for the first time as a married couple, and my face is always right there like this. <laughs> and so I told myself, and I wrote a note in my, in my scriptures, that this time, move away so I was getting ready to get to the end of the ceremony. And right before I said, you may kiss the bride, I took two steps back. I said, you may now kiss the bride. And I bowed my head. <laughs> what I didn't think about was that in seeing the pictures that are now on Facebook, when I bowed my head, the sun was shining right here. <laughs> and it was like a beacon of light shooting out at this wonderful couple. It's like God's grace is shining on And so next time I'm just going to like run out of the frame. <laughs> but I love getting to do weddings, and people come up to you and say the craziest things. People share with you all sorts of stuff. And there was one moment when I was standing in the reception area, a young man, probably about my age, came up, and he thanked me for what I said. He told me what he thought about the service, and then he said what people say to me all the time. You know, I haven't been to church in a really long time. And you know what I was saying? I didn't ask you when the last time you went to church was. But people tell me all the time, I haven't been to church in a long time. So I just stood there and I kept listening to him. And he said, But if church were like the service you did, I'd go every Sunday. I said, Wow, I mean, that's incredible. Thank for the compliment. And then I should have stopped. I should have kept my mouth shut. I should have said, Thank you. I should have walked away. But I'm an idiot. And so I opened my big mouth. And I said, but I don't think that's what church is supposed to be like every week. He said, what do you mean? I said, if church were like that every week, we wouldn't need it. See, Peter has been listening to Jesus talk about forgiveness, talk about what the kingdom of God really looks like. And Peter, like all of us, has a question. He says, Lord, but when someone in the church sins against me, how many times do I have to forgive them? Seven times? And Jesus says, No, you idiot. That's not in Scripture. Sorry. He says, No, you have to forgive people 77 times. I don't know what's happened in the church. I tried to talk about it with our kids. But there was a time where you could expect to hear one thing when you went to church on Sunday that you're a sinner. And the pendulum has swung so far back in the other direction that we never talk about sin anymore. It's all about grace and love and mercy. They will know we are Christians by our love. I mean, that's the kind of stuff that church has become. And we've forgotten this sense of who we really are. And Peter's question is important. He says, if someone in the church sins against me, he doesn't say, if someone in the community sins against me, somebody cuts me off when I'm driving on 95, somebody gossips about me at work. He says, if somebody in the church sins against me, how many times should I forgive? Forgiving someone from the church is very different than forgiving just about anybody else in the world. Because frankly, I think it's easier to forgive somebody on the other side of the world, someone you're never going to see again, than it is to forgive someone you've got to see every Sunday for the rest of your life. And again, notice, Peter assumes that he is the one in the position to forgive somebody else. Peter assumes that he is the one with all the power, that someone else has wronged him, and that he has the power to forgive somebody else. Peter was a sinner, just like the rest of us. And just like the rest of us, his chief sin was being blind to the fact that he was a sinner. The inconvenient truth of this passage that Deirdre read for us is that we are broken, that we are sinners. And that we, for some reason, expect everybody else to be perfect. And Peter listens to Jesus, and he wants to know how many times he has to forgive somebody else. A man goes to a wedding and hopes that every church service is perfect and filled with perfect people and filled with hope and with joy and with love. We want to know how many times we have to forgive someone. And we have forgotten that we need to be forgiven for what we have done. I mean, Jesus' answer, it prods us, it probes us, it makes us ask ourselves, how can we be at peace with one another? And even more than that, even more than forgiving somebody seven, seven times, this is all about God first forgiving us. The man at the wedding, he stood right next to me while other people were gyrating on the dance floor, and he thought about what I said for what seemed like a mini eternity, and he said, well, I don't care what you think. I think that more people would go to church if it were like what you did every week. I said, perhaps. But the church is not in the business of growing for the sake of growing. The church is in the business of telling the truth. And sometimes, offering and receiving the truth, it hurts. I don't like preaching about forgiveness. I don't like preaching about it because... I'm so bad at it. I don't like having to stand in a place like this and talk to people like you about it because in talking about forgiveness, it's like I'm holding up a mirror to myself and I'm seeing who I really am on the inside. Because maybe you're like me and you hold grudges or you get frustrated with people or sometimes you can't imagine forgiving someone because they've done something so terrible to you Maybe you're like me and you put conditions on forgiveness. Oh, I'll forgive them if they do this. Or maybe you're like me and the golden rule, you know, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Instead, it sounds more like do unto others as they have done unto you. Offering forgiveness, it isn't easy. And I think receiving it is even harder. Of course, Jesus doesn't leave Peter there. He goes on to tell him a story. There's a king who forgives the debt of one of his slaves. And that slave then goes and berates another slave for a much smaller debt. And when the king hears about it, he confronts the first slave about his inability to be merciful and sends him off to be tortured. And then Jesus ends with this. And so it will be with any of you if you do not forgive your brother or your sister. This is a frightening and a terrible and a harrowing story. If you don't forgive your brother and sister, you are going to be tortured till the end of your days. It is meant to be shocking. It is meant to be intense. Because there's no way that a slave could ever owe a king that much money. There's no way a slave would ever be able to pay it back, and there's no way a king would ever forgive such an outrageous debt. But that, my friends, is what forgiveness looks like. It feels and appears impossible. It seems so out of touch with reality. What Jesus says to Peter, it's pretty irresponsible. I mean, how logical is it to grant unlimited forgiveness? What kind of community could be sustained where individuals would be forgiven over and over and over again? And that's the thing. This isn't a story about us. It's a story about God. God is the one who first forgives us a debt that we could never repay. Our sin, who we really are on the inside, our prejudices and our judgments and our mistakes, the things that we keep secret from everyone else, even our spouses and our friends. God knows who we really are and forgives us anyway. If we took the time to all kneel up here on the altar and really lay out publicly for everyone to hear our sins, I don't think we'd ever want to look at one another again. But God hears and knows who we really are and says, you're still welcome here. So friends, hear this very inconvenient truth. You and I, we're sinners. We're broken. And some of us are more broken than than others and that's not something easy to hear I know it's not easy to hear because I don't like holding up the mirror to who I really am either but it's who I am and it's who you are if we want to be peacemakers if we want to be part of God's kingdom if we want to be disciples then we have to remember that God first forgave us if we want to take seriously this command to forgive other people we can only do so when we remember God first forgave us. If we're going to be the church, then we have to know and believe the church is going to be messy sometimes. We're going to hear and receive things in this room that will be hard to hear and to receive. The church cannot be a never-ending wedding feast because if it were, we wouldn't need it. I'd like you to pull out your index card. I'd like you to open it and look at the name of the person you wrote down. I think it would be all too easy to have said, write down the name of someone you need to forgive. And when you leave church today, call them, send them a text message, tell them you forgive them for what you've done. I think that is all too easy. I think what is so much much harder is to look at the name of the person you wrote down and think about how today you're going to get in touch with them and ask them to forgive you for what you've done. Because I promise it's going to be hard to do. And even worse, it might make the situation worse than it is right now. Because I know for some of you, the name you wrote down, it's someone you see all the time and you've just swept this under the rug. And when you have to ask them for forgiveness, you're going to have to recognize and offer up the fact that you're not as perfect as you appear to be. This isn't going to fix everything in your life, asking for someone to forgive you. It's not going to make it easy or make the problem go away. Frankly, I think it's probably going to make things worse, and for that I'm sorry. But we have no business at all Talking about forgetting someone in our life for what they've done to us, unless we are first willing to ask someone to forgive us for what we've done. So look at that name one more time. Think about how today or tomorrow you can get in touch with them. You can share with them how you feel. And you can do that really hard and good and true thing and say, Please forgive me. Because only then. Will we ever be able to forgive anyone else? I offer this to you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. One God, now and forever. Amen. Amen.